Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. The first scripture reading for this Sunday is Mark 10, 35-45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you were asking, Jesus said. Can you drink from the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called to them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles hold it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The second reading is from Galatians 5, 1, 13 through 14. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend to you all. Uh, This is our fourth and final week in the the Blessed series. It's meant to be five weeks, but because of the storm last week, uh, uh, we're going to make it four weeks. Um, And I'm going to share more about how we're going to do that in a little bit. But this fourth week is uh, is all around the power of, of serving one another. And this series, the goal of this series was for us to truly learn how God might use us to be a blessing for other people. God's main way, his, his, uh, his main strategy of transforming the world is by using us, for better or for worse, by using us to be a blessing to this world, and especially the church, that we as, as Christ's bride, Christ's church, we're called to go into this world and to bless, and a huge part of learning to bless people is through the power of serving them. And so this morning, I want to share just three stories about the power of service. One story is a story from my own life, uh, uh, something that I experienced. Another is a story from Scripture, as we just heard. And finally, we're going to hear a story from someone within our community. Uh, So first, uh, a story from my my own life. When Jen and I were newlyweds, we used to live in East Austin, And uh, we would oftentimes get on our cool scooter, and yes, I don't care what you hear, it is cool. We'd get on our cool scooter, and we would zip around town, we zip around East Austin especially, and uh, have these fun date nights. And what we discovered was in East Austin around 10 years ago, there's certain uh, neighborhoods and intersections you have to be mindful of. Uh, I remember this one time Jen and I were going, and we pulled up this intersection at uh, 11th and Chacon. And this woman, I know there's some Austin residents who go, oof. This woman came over as we're at the stoplight and noticed Jen's ring and was like, that's beautiful. And then tried pulling it off of Jen's finger 
And we were, there was a car in front of us, a car behind us, so we just, we didn't know where to go. And the scooter really doesn't give off much power, so there wasn't much of a threat that we could, so we kind of zip around. And we just learned, all right, there's certain pockets you just have to be careful of. And, but it was in one of those intersections, uh, we met this woman named Lola, Nubian Queen Lola. She had a restaurant there uh, near 11th and Chacon, which, by the way, was at that point one of the few intersections in Austin that taxi drivers could refuse service legally because they were in danger. And so they could bypass anyone wanting a ride in 11th Chacon. But that's where Lola was. Lola had this uh, restaurant, Nubian Queen Lola's Cajun Food Restaurant, and it looked like someone just had a Mardi Gras party and just left everything up there for like a long time. That was Nubian Queen Lola's restaurant. And one thing we found out about Lola is that you go in there and gospel music is blaring. It's just so loud, it's blaring. And there's Lola in the kitchen, and no one else is there on staff. It's just Lola. So Lola's making the food. She's delivering the plate. She's running the cash register. She's, you know, hanging out with the people that were in there. And the food was incredible. She didn't hire anyone because she didn't trust them. They might steal my recipes. And so she would only be by herself. And she was in no hurry. When you go in there, it's not like you're going to go in there, talk a little bit, oh, here's our appetizer. You're just there. And you might get served like five times after the people who come in there after you. Uh, But that's just how it rolls at at Nubian Queen Lola's restaurant. One of the things that I found out through that as we became friends was that Lola had this this jar that was right next to the cash register. It said, uh, food for the homeless. And you could drop in, you know, for tip for Lola and the food for the homeless. But in reality, all of it was going into the tip jar for food for the homeless. Uh, Lola would shut down her restaurant on Sundays and open up the back of her restaurant. And everyone in the neighborhood would come. And she would feed them all. And she lived out generosity and compassion to such an extent that Lola herself, this is something we found out after a long time, Lola herself lived at a restaurant. She lived in the kitchen. She'd pull down a mattress at night and sleep there. She'd bathe in the sink there. This was just her life. And I remember one time in talking to Lola, uh, she would share stories that were just incredible, how she would go around the neighborhood looking for junkies. She would find these junkies, and she would offer them crackers and grape juice. In in her words, she she would sneak them communion. They didn't know it, but they were having communion. One time, Lola told me a story about looking for this one man and eventually looking, finding abandoned homes, and that's where she would find a lot of them, opening up the crawl space underneath the home and seeing a man with a needle in his arm, going down underneath this home and giving him communion. And I remember thinking as I was talking to Lola, why would you do this? I probably said it in other words that weren't as direct, but why would you do this? And her response, I'll never forget it, she said, do you know that story Jesus told about a woman who lost a coin? And she like flipped her home upside down trying to find this treasured coin. Do you know that story? I was like, yeah. Even if I didn't as a pastor, I'm going to lie and say, yeah, of course I know that story. (laughs) And And she said, and then when she found it, she had a party, which doesn't make sense. But you know what? That was her treasure. 
Do you know what my treasure is? It's the man with the needle in his arm underneath the house. And it calls into question, what's my treasure? If you want to know what your treasure is, what would you flip a house upside down to find? And when you found it, would you throw a party? For Lola, it looked a lot different than me. Jesus gave this wonderful warning. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. We have to be very careful in what we treasure because we're putting our heart in places that sometimes are weak and that fail us. And yet for Lola, she was placing her treasure in the very heart of God. And is there no better place for that? What we see with Lola's example is that we won't serve people in a way that transforms until we realize the treasure that is in every single person. The treasure that is in every single person, regardless of their skin color, their bank account balance, whether they're clocking in 60-hour weeks downtown or they stuck underneath a home with a needle in, in, in their arm, they are all treasured by God. And it's not until we realize that that we will be so compelled to give of ourselves and to serve with abundance and generosity and compassion. We have to have something crack us open for us. This doesn't come naturally. And it didn't come naturally for the, the, the disciples of Jesus. We find with the disciples of Jesus in our scripture reading something underneath the surface. Inside the disciples, they were hoping and believing that they were hitching their wagon to this rabbi named Jesus who was climbing up the ladder of success and power and prominence, and they were going to be brought alongside with him. We see this in verse uh, 35 here. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Can you get the nerve of them? I mean, we all think this, but we just don't say it, right? We want you to do whatever we ask. So Jesus, he plays along with us. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. So sitting at the left and right were places of power, so whoever was in charge, whoever had the authority, they were, their right and their left hand chairs were kind of like the people who also were just a step below them. So imagine a, 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 someone running for an office and two people are in that grassroots movement and this person's finally elected president of the U.S., and you would think that they hitched their wagon to something of power and success, so they would only think, well, maybe Secretary of State? is in hand, right? And so for them, they're thinking, remember us when you come into glory, and that one of us should be at your left and one of us should be at your right. So for them, they were not thinking glory as in we would. We read this with the story, uh, the story with the end in mind. We think about the fact that Jesus' glory is in heaven. The only, the only throne he took in this world was that of a cross. But for them, they were really thinking that they were going to be put in power as well of Jesus here in this world. And Jesus says this to them in verse 38. You do not know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Jesus knows where he's headed. And it's not the cup of wealth that is waiting for him. It's not the cup of power that is waiting for him. It is the cup of suffering, of compassion, of loss, of releasing themselves. 
And even Jesus, as he was looking towards the cross, he would later say in Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it is possible, may this cup, may this cup that I'm about to drink be taken from me, but not my will, but yours. Jesus is not interested in heading up the ladder of success that we might imagine, not the ladder of power, of prominence, of wealth, of prestige, popularity. Jesus was headed down the ladder. As Shane Claiborne once said, if we think that God is waiting for us at the top of the ladder as we climb up with power and prestige in this world, make room for the ladder for Jesus who might be passing you on the way down. He might be heading way down. And maybe his call to us is, I want you to come and follow me. Follow me down. Down into a place of service, a place of compassion. The story goes on, verse 41. When the tip heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. This is kind of the record scratch moment. In the, you know, as they're hanging out, what has just happened? What did they just say? Verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Jesus is saying that the way of this world is to lord power over others, to make people an instrument for your comfort, your plans, your hopes, your wishes, but not so with you, not so with those people who are gonna bear my name. You are not going to use power in that way. Verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be, uh, be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice the three nouns in this. This is, this is where Jesus' call in our life is really attractive. Oftentimes, pastors or churches try to wrap the invitation of following Jesus in a really wonderful, beautiful way. This is how Jesus did it. Okay, how about being a servant, a slave, and a ransom? How does that for, 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 the, for the pitch? You want to follow me? Okay, great. Servant, slave, and ransom. Uh, I guess I'll take servant. No, 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 no. It's all three. You're going to have to do all three. This is who you are if you're following me. What we see this is we confuse greatness and privilege. Our definition of greatness comes along with a lot of privilege. And what Jesus is saying is greatness is not found there. Greatness is in our ability to give ourselves away. We can't do this on our own. It takes something something to break us out of it. Many of us spend much of our life working for things that really don't count in the end. We trade out our families for work, trade out the people we love for building another brick in the wall. We, we abuse people around us. We step over them. We try so hard to get to that next level, that next place. And it reminds me of a child who spends all day at Chuck E. Cheese playing skee-ball waste their 25 bucks on it, gets 200 tickets, goes up to the glass to see what prize they can get, and nothing but a stupid eraser. <laughs> Me, for us, you know, we're using our life to be able to check in something that really doesn't count in the end. And Jesus is saying there's a different way for greatness. Um, we are shackled to a self-centered life. 
It just comes naturally. This past week, uh, Jen was waking up probably for the fifth time in the middle of the night around four in the morning uh, to take care of our four-week-old daughter. And uh, she woke me up, probably feeding or taking care of her, di- you know, changing her diaper. And in my sleep, sleep, I sat up, I pointed at her, and I shushed her. <laughs> I was asleep, and it came out of me. Like, just naturally, shh. I'm trying to get my solid eight hours tonight, okay? And the next morning, Jen let me know about it. I was like, does it matter if I don't remember it? She's like, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We, it all comes naturally. Creating a life around our own desires and selfish wants, it comes naturally. Uh, great warning is C.S. Lewis. He wrote in this, this incredible book called Great Divorce, which is a fictional uh, poetic account of heaven and hell, um, which are two things we don't really talk much about in our culture. Uh, But C.S. Lewis, the way in which he paints hell, I thought was really profound. Hell is a place where you are by yourself with everything you ever wanted. What a warning that might be for us. That if you really create a life getting everything you ever wanted, you might experience isolation and loss. We have to be melted and moved by the love of God to break out of this. And that's what this passage in Galatians is all about. Galatians 5.1. It talks about the, the purpose of Jesus, of that of deliverance. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Christ has set you free, so therefore do not be shackled, do not be burdened. Walk as free people. And we would all say this and go, yes, I want to be free. I want to be delivered. I want to be unshackled. But notice the, the indication of a free life. It's this, picking up at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Yes. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. What this is saying is you have been set free to no longer live for yourself. You have been set free to get out of yourself, to start living for other people, and thus fulfilling the law of Christ in your life. If you want to know what a freed life is, it's not getting everything you've ever wanted. A free life is someone who finally is living outside of their own wish factory and is giving themselves in service to other people. That is the mark of a freed life. Many of us have been moved this past week by seeing the service that has been done along the coast in Houston, southeast Texas. Many of us, we've watched this abundant service and just gone and go, oh, there's something that leaps up in our heart and our soul that we, we see these things, we hear these stories and go, this is what it's all about. For me, you know, it's one, the, uh, this, the guy that opened up his furniture store to let everyone move in there. There's all these different stories. For me, uh, one group that really captured my attention was the, the Cajun Navy. I love it. These, uh, these boats that are not designer boats that we would see on Lake Austin, right? These boats were pulled from different parts of Louisiana. They were not invited. These people were not, you know, like, hey, we, could you come? Were not, they were not scheduled. They showed up. They heard about a need, and they showed up. And I love the stories that are coming out from these men and women who came to serve. 
And I think one of the reasons why they just decided to go was because 12 years ago, it was their turn. And Louisiana was turned into just a lake. And people showed up for them. And it, it formed them. It transformed them. When we have learned to receive grace, when we have learned to receive the mercy of being served, it is only natural then to be melted and moved to give yourself for other people. It's a natural outcome. Something that we stay, say as a staff often is in, your, in response to the gospel, pour out your, yourself for others. Pour yourselves out in response to the gospel. This isn't something we are conjuring up. This is just what we do in response to what God has already done. It's because of what Jesus has done for you that we have been set free and then to pour ourselves out. Our lives have been marked by this. Our lives have been marked by service. And to give you an indication, I want to invite my friend Juanita to, to come up here to just give you an insight of what one person's life might look like, how transformation might happen through someone being served well. And so would you guys do me a favor? Would you welcome Juanita? Hey, how you doing? Come on over, come on over. You get, you get to be on the rug just this one Sunday. Don't get used to it. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Juanita, hi. Hi. Okay, first off, how did you hear about the vine? This is just a part of your story I think is really interesting. Yes. I just moved from Miami in December, and when you move to a new place, they send you a whole bunch of mailing. And so I got this oversized postal card that said the vine. It was very intriguing to me to say the vine, very interesting church. So I set it aside, kept looking at the coupons and other things that they sent you, and then in uh, around March, I think, I came to the Vine. But before that, I listened to the sermons of Ted and Mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, it was wonderful. So the postcards that are sent out to a new person that comes, doesn't know anybody, nothing except my son and daughter-in-law, it was wonderful to have that postcard. Awesome. Now, why don't you share a little bit about your childhood? How were you raised? Where were you raised? What was your life like? Okay. I was uh, born in Mexico, in Reynosa, Tamaulipas, and um, I almost died at birth, but the Lord, as in Psalm 139, knew, knew when I was supposed to start and when my life will end. I was born unbreached, and it was a very difficult birth, and so when my mom uh, was giving birth to me, they told her that, um, you know, the baby may die, and the midwife was very skilled, and wonderful woman. She had delivered two children already with my mom, and so I was able to be here to, <laughs> with you today. But um, my mom, in turn, dedicated me to the Lord, in service to the Lord. We were a Catholic family, and my mom changed my name to, from Patricia to San Juanita de la Cruz, which was to a patron saint at that time, but she was giving me to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that meant that if I had remained in the Catholic faith, I would have been a nun. And so from then on, I, I was dedicated um, to the Lord. We were living in Edinburgh, Texas, um, and our uh, Orange Grove, we had a natural disaster. I'm trying to speak very quickly because I only have seven minutes. <laughs> but the thing, the thing is that the Lord has been with me, and wonderful experiences have happened um, because people had the heart of a servant 
to help me since childhood, from that midwife to when we travel as migrant farm workers from Edinburgh, Texas, from the Rio Grande Valley, to um, near Rapstown, Texas, a little town named Canalin. Some of you may know that town near Corpus Christi. And um, our family became homeless. I was age nine at that time. And our church family saw our family on the side of the road. And um, they kept seeing this family going to the gas station to wash their hands, you know, their faces. And um, they stopped and they gave us a um, place to stay. And it was a, a house that was not finished. It had a concrete floor, four walls, no roof, but it was refuge for us. That Christmas, they gave us pecans, Texas pecans, apples, and some colaciones, which is Mexican candy. It was wonderful. The, the Lord was planting seeds in my heart and in my family's heart to come to know him. Okay, the servant's heart that reached out. A little church that was small church, but with a big heart. After that, we continue into our migrant lifestyle. And um, we were in Michigan one year, and we had a, a young man from seminary, from Dallas Theological Seminary, that came during the summer to give vacation Bible school to migrant farm worker children in the labor camp. And he also planted a seed in, in our family and in my heart and gave me that my first uh, New Testament that I was able to read good news for modern men at that time. <laughs> and so, again, a young man that didn't have to do this, but he had a heart of a servant and he came to help us. As we continue migrating, we ended up in the South Florida area to pick tomatoes and oranges. And there, um, in, the, in the southern part of the county, we experienced homelessness again because migrant farm workers, there's not enough housing, so you sleep everywhere. And, and this, uh, this year, we were able to find um, parking in front of a house of a friend of my father from uh, Mexico that, that knew him when he was a child. And that family introduced us to uh, the Lord, actually. They were so nice to us to let us park in front of their house so we could go in and use their bathrooms. And one Sunday, they asked us to come to church. And my father said, out of courtesy, we're going to go to this church because we're Catholic and these are Protestants. This is Southern Baptist mission for migrants. So out of courtesy, <laughs> obeying my dad, we all went to this church. And it was um, the pastor there, as I was sharing with Mark, was a young man from Cuba that had experienced um, his father being a political prison, prisoner because he was a minister under Castro. And he was very, he had a servant's heart too. And he actually looked at the family and the families, not only mine, holistically. He looked at the physical needs, which were, we were, you know, out in the street, and also our emotional need and our spiritual need. And I was sharing with him in the Southern Baptist tradition where they do an altar call and they ask you to come forward. Uh, one, another Sunday, Sunday, several Sundays later, the pastor asked the altar call, call and my oldest brother went 
uh, walking, and then I said, uh, I'm going, you know, I'm going to. They were singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Oh, yeah. So I did it, and then my other sister did too. The three of us went in front. And so being a young lady that was told that she was in service to God, that I was going to be a Catholic nun, who I, I thought I was committing a sin by going and answering the altar call. So I was praying, I was saying, God, please forgive me if I'm doing the wrong thing, going to the altar call. There's a lot of things I've heard people pray for forgiveness. <laughs> going toward an altar call, it's not one of them. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and then, then the pastor said, the heavens are rejoicing that these young people are coming here to know the Lord. And it was like, wow, thank you. So that's how I came to know the Lord. And he has been with me since the beginning of time, but I've gone through, in my 65 years, good times and bad times, and he has been with me all the time. Um, this pastor also helped us find education. By that time, I had dropped out of school, and he said, you have all these young children here, they're all dropouts. And so he helped us be connected to a high school equivalency program at the University of Miami. And I was able to finish my high school through, through that. And then I went on to, to school and uh, went to University of Miami eventually on a scholarship. And um, I actually have my former spouse here, Randy. And he was with Campus Crusade for Christ. I met him there at the university. And we went to seminary together. Um, and we have a son, and that's why he's here <laughs> visiting our grandson and helping them move to a new home. So the Lord has been with me for a long time, and I hope to see him when I see him. And, and please continue to pass on the hope to others because hope does not disappoint. One gesture, one pat in the back, one um, direct look, anything in your circle of influence the Lord will use it if you say, I want to be an instrument, I want to be your eyes, your teeth, your, your everything, my body is yours, Lord. And, and we have an opportunity here um, to do that. So uh, Juanita responded to this service by, by giving and serving others. What did you do with your career? So I think that's important. Yes, I basically most of my 35 years, I worked in, um, in and out of the school district and I work with homeless education. I uh, wrote a grant for Miami-Dade County the year that we had Hurricane Andrew, which was 25 years ago. And that was a category five, and it was really rough. But we had 10 cities, and we worked with um, the school district and with churches, and I also worked with migrant farm worker children and writing grants for children in need, in poverty, and social work area. And in the last 12 years, I work in early childhood, uh, doing some um, work with a very, very young children. Thank you for sharing. Will you please thank you. When I had the opportunity to sit down with Juanita and hear her story, I could not help but hear just as she was going through her storyline little pockets, little blips of how she was served by people as an expression of God's love and grace and care. Just her story was littered with it. 
And the reality is, if we were to stop and think about our own life, my imagination is that if you were to look back in your life, you would see God's love of you made manifest through people serving you all along the way, praying for you, serving with you by teaching you just how to read the Bible when you're a child, serving you through caring for you during hard transitions, walking alongside of you during your own loss, your own suffering. My guess is if you were to look back at your life, you'd see how your life has been blessed through service. But now, it's your turn. Who has God put in your life that you could remember the gospel, how it set you free, and now just bless people, serve them, care for them? May we serve with a greater love than our hearts can handle because we're tapping into God's heart. May we give of ourselves in a way that speaks of the generosity of the good news of Jesus. And may we experience Christ along the way. May we have a picture of Christ 